Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. everybody. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and we are joined today by co-host Ashley Chance. Hi, Ashley. Hey. How's it going? It's going great. I'm really excited about this conversation today. I know. So this is the kind of thing that I love because um, being a national uh, organization, we get to talk to sportswomen across the country. And so a while back, we did a podcast on sage grouse, which when I was growing up in the Midwest, I didn't know what a sage grouse was. And today we're talking about pythons. Um, and it was again, another adult. Uh, uh, I don't, I didn't know until last year <laughs> about the python issue in Florida. So I'm excited to uh, talk to some python hunters. We have with us today, Amy Siwi and Anne Gordon Vega. Hello to you both. Hello, hello. Hi, how are y'all doing? Doing great. Again, very excited to dig into this conversation with you both um, and learn all about python hunting. Well, we're excited to tell you all about it too. Let's just go ahead and dive right in. Um, I would love to start off by hearing a little bit about who you are. Amy, do you want to field that one first? Sure. My name is Amy and I'm a python hunter. <laughs> <laughs> But in all seriousness, I never, ever thought that I would be hunting pythons. I love snakes. I've always loved snakes. I've, they've always been a part of my life with the zoos, with the exotic pets and vets and all kinds of things. And so I never in a million years thought that I would be hunting pythons in Florida. But here I am. Where are you from? I'm from Indiana. You're from Indiana. And now you're in Naples. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, and can you tell us about your, like, how did your fascination with snakes start? <laughs> well, it's something I think that I was born with. When I was very little, my dad put me in the creek and he taught me how to catch fish and crawdads and snakes and all kinds of stuff. And I just had some crazy fascination with snakes. And so ever since then, it's just, it's always been a part of me. And when I learned about the Python problem in Florida, I thought, you know, I can finally take this hobby that I've always had and actually put it to use and help with the problem down there and getting rid of these things. So to help with the ecosystem, uh, because I'm, since I'm not afraid of them, I know them, I'm, you know, I've had so much experience with them. I thought I could be an asset to the program, which, you know, I feel like I have the, the problem is it's a double-edged sword because it's, it's amazing to go out and hunt them, but then we have to kill them. And I do not like that part. Yeah. We'll dig into that um, for sure in this conversation a little bit more. Um, and tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, oh my gosh, I'm a lot of things. Uh, starting with a new grandmother. I just had my first grandbaby two weeks ago. So that's the biggest exciting thing I am right now. But I'm also, of course, a mother, a wife. I'm an artist in my real life. Um, I also teach art. And um, I'm a nature lover, a hiker, a fisherwoman. I, I'm this queen of the snook. I love to slay snook and hope to go out later tonight and get my last one for the season. Let's see what happens. But uh, other than that, yes, now I am a python contractor. Who would have thought? I mean, who would have ever thought anybody would be that? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. So I love it. It sounds like both of you... Um... I guess I don't, I tripped into Python contracting <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. Does that seem accurate? Like it wasn't something you set out to do. It just kind of surprised you with possibilities. Yeah. How did that happen? I think, Amy, I think Amy set out to do it. <laughs> well, I did, but I, again, so I moved here two years ago to do that, but literally two and a half years ago, if you would have told me that I would be hunting pythons and killing them and doing all of this stuff, I would have said, you're crazy. Why, why would I do that? So it, it was one of those things that I was a real estate broker for 13 years and then just left everything in Indiana to move down here. And so, yeah, this is, this is something that I do love to do. Um, so you, you left Indiana to intentionally go down, down there um, for pythons. Were they like the, that's yeah. amazing. 
yes, I came down here to figure out what I needed to do to become a Python hunter. So I moved down here without, I mean, I rented a room from a guy. Thankfully it worked out. Um, I didn't have a job. The government was shut down when I first got down here. So none of the programs, I couldn't even contact anybody about Python hunting. So yeah, I just came down here to see how to do it. And I I figured it out. (laughs) I just, I just want to say, I love the whole sentiment behind this because I feel like there's a lot of talk in the last like five years about people who go to live in a van or people who, you know, go to hike across the country and you're just like pythons. Yes, this is me. I need to go do this. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you. A lot of people think I'm kind of crazy, which I'm not going to sign. Yeah. We like crazy here. It's all, okay. it's all good. <laughs> um, well, that's, I mean, you mentioned a little bit, Amy, in your introduction, um, the conservation issue in Florida. Uh, let's go ahead and dig into that. Can you tell us what the yeah, issue actually, is? Yeah, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna hand that to Anne. She does a fabulous job of it. Great. Yeah, talk it to like um, again. We have a we have listeners across the country and honestly across the world. So um, pretend you're explaining it to a newbie. What's what's up well, with in Florida? In my case, it, it became the big light bulb that came on when. I finally got my children raised up to an age where I could go back and start going out into the environment and start go hiking and biking and get back out in the glades. Um, and when I did, the, the first thing that started to strike me was roadkill. And, and for all of you girls that go out, you know that roadkill is a good indication of what's going on in an area. And when you are used to seeing raccoons and possums and bunny rabbits, on the side of the road and don't see anything um, except native snakes and and an occasional bufo toad or or an alligator as roadkill it, it gives you a question of what is going on um, i did not know pythons were a problem in florida until one of my art students came to class one day and said she was going to go out python hunting with another friend of hers and i looked at her like what the heck are you talking about? That's crazy. What is Python hunting? What are you talking about? I didn't know there was a problem. And um, she proceeded to tell me that, uh, oh yeah, she was going out with one of the contractors and they have keys to the gates and they could go anywhere that most people can't go. And I was so jealous of that, um, that I actually asked her to see her get an invite. And on her second or third trip out, I actually got the invite. And that's where I learned about this problem and why there were no mammals. Why is there no rabbits and and possums and and raccoons and, and actually larger animals? Um, it seems back in, in the 70s that the first wild python was actually caught in Everglades National Park. Um, if if everybody recalls Miami's days back in the 70s and 80s of the cocaine cowboys and all the money and drugs and things that were going on, what also came with it was an extravagant amount of money and lifestyles that like to live up to that um, that show off attitude of Mercedes Benz and gold roll gold Rolexes and and everything else that go with it. But of course exotic animals became a big part of that. And that became almost a fashion statement to have flamingos in your front yard around a pond and walk down Coconut Grove with a a beautiful python wrapped around your neck, um, you know, just strolling along with your pet. But of course, time goes on and people grow weary of, uh, of their pets. And Nobody wants to destroy their pets. So what did they do? They started letting them go. And South Florida has invasive reptiles and other animals from, I've been down here for um, 50 something years and we've been battling that forever, but this is an apex predator and um, it's a very successful one here. So it's, it's sad to say, but now we have lost in the Southern part of the state, we've lost over 90% of all mammals. And the 10% that are left are basically rats. So um, this is this is the worst problem imaginable right here going on right now. So that's why I started doing it because I love nature. I love the glades. I love um, hunting. <laughs> so it all just seemed to roll together. And I 
I went further with it. So, yeah. Those are some absolutely shocking statistics. Coming, you know, I knew, I know that Florida and South Florida in particular is a hotspot for um, non-native and exotic animals, but over 90% of the mammals are gone. Gone. You can, when I first started as a contractor, um, just coming up on four years ago, we would still see a mama possum with her babies on her back and a little eye shine in, on top of the levee as a raccoon scurried away. And honestly, um, probably in the last two years, I have seen one raccoon and no possums whatsoever. No, um, you'll see occasional fox squirrels because they mainly live high up in the canopy and don't come down as often to, to feed. Um, but other than that, the gray squirrels are gone. Marsh rabbits, psh, they used to just line the roads here and there is not anything left. I, I mean, it's, it's to the point where I don't know how our environment is sustaining itself right now. I mean, you know, it, it disrupts the entire food chain. So it's very sad. And so you said they were introduced in the 70s? That's when the first wild python was caught. Um, they, there are, there's rumors about this breeding operation in the uh, 90s that was destroyed during Hurricane Andrew. I mean, South Florida, like I said, people love the exotic animals. And at that t- time period, there was all this drug money in Miami. And I mean, everybody you knew had these crazy wild pets um, from toucans to monkeys to pythons. And I do know I was in the bird business at that time, believe it or not. I I actually had 150 citizens, parrots, cockatoos, macaws. And I had a breeding operation when Hurricane Andrew hit. And I was kind of in the middle of all these wholesalers. I knew everybody back then. And I never knew until recently of any kind of a breeding facility that was destroyed. Um, my father-in-law had a farm and their neighbor was a wholesaler of animals and, and he did actually lose some snakes. And there was the next morning, there was a a python wrapped around his pump in his, uh, in his irrigation. Um, but I don't really believe there's never been a substantiation of this, you know, thousands of breeding pythons being released. It's just, they are so cryptic that until it became you know, just out of explosion of population that nobody really knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we did, it was because we were missing all these mammals. So. Well, and they also, they, they discovered their first hatchling in, I think it was 2000, 2002, something like that. And they thought, okay, because before that, they just thought, okay, you know, these are pets that were released and we're finding the pets. Okay, whatever. But then they said, wait a minute, they're breeding. That's not good because nobody's going to let their little $200 hatchling go out in the Mm -hmm. wild. So, so yeah, so this has been, like Ann said, this has been an ongoing problem and it just, they are so cryptic and it is so, it is impossible to find them. If you just walk through the swamp, you'll never, never see them. And so we have to basically wait for them to come to us in, oh, wow. in a sense. So there was an, even a researcher that was tracking pythons that had telemetry um, devices on them so that they could track and, and, you know, get all this great scientific data. And, and he was holding his little antenna thing in the air saying, oh, this thing's got to be within 14 feet. You know, it's signaling, it's right here somewhere. And with that, he felt the earth move underneath his feet. And it literally was this giant python in the grass that he never saw until, you know, he felt it move. So that's how hard it is for Amy and I to go out there and find these things. (laughs) This is a scientist that's been studying these things for a while. So it's crazy. So what eats a python? I mean, I'm aware that not many things, but even when they're little hatchlings, is there anything that can take advantage of them? Oh yeah, I mean, for sure. They are the food source for gators, for some other snakes. 
Uh, owls love owls love them that that's like the best dinner you can get as an owl (laughs) it is kind of the perfect it's like the perfect portion (laughs) (laughs) so yeah yeah they are but at the same time a female usually lays between 20 and 40 eggs that's the normal size of a clutch but when you get to these you know 16 17 18 footers they can lay 100 plus eggs so that's a whole lot of little babies out there Wow. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about their, their life cycle and their seasons? Well, the fun part about this is that we don't know a whole lot. We're still learning. Nobody really needed to know any of this until the last, you know, a few years. So now they're doing all of these studies, but we don't really have all of the data that would make it really helpful to make, to, to help find these things. So basically it takes, um, it takes a Python about three years to become a breeder so they're, when they're between eight and 10 feet long, that's when they start breeding. And that takes about three years. And um, the breeding season is technically it's like December through March, but the main breeding time is like the halfway through January until mid-March is about the, the time. And so right now we're at the end of it. The females are all gravid, which means they're, they're pregnant. They have eggs in them. They're all looking for their nests. So they're going to go and lay their eggs and pythons are the only snake that lays their eggs and actually sits on their nest. Hmm. So they'll sit on the nest for two months. And then a couple days before the, the babies hatch, the mom will come off the nest then the babies will come out and the mom doesn't take care of them or anything like that. They, they go their separate ways. And then um, they spend all summer and fall and beginning of the winter eating and getting huge and then when winter comes again, they slow down the eating and then they get into their, their breeding mode and it starts all over again. And just to put a little more perspective on it, when they hatch out, they're somewhere around two foot. They're, they're 18 to 24 inches long. Um, they usually hatch out in July, August and September. And right now you will not find a python that is under five foot long. And most of them are six to seven feet. And those are this last season's babies. That's so these crazy. things are growing and e- they're eating machines. They don't, they don't eat like a, a dog once a, do- once a day, one meal. They don't eat like this, three meals. They eat and, and as opportunists. Um, a friend of mine, I ran up on him one night out in the glades and he had just caught an eight foot snake, which is not a giant by any sense of the word. Um, and it regurgitated right in front of us four completely not digested birds, a heron, an ibis, an egret, and a, a duck. Those are so, huge birds. <laughs> this thing didn't care that it had just eaten. It's gobbling everything it can get. So ugh, that's oh part of God. the whole, you know, horror of the story. <laughs> Do pythons have indeterminate growth? They never stop growing. So as as long as they're eating, they're getting bigger. Yep. And they live for about 25 years. Oh, wow. And what was the biggest one caught so far, Amy? 18 foot, uh, 150 pounds, something like that. 18, nine. 18 yeah. Nine. And I don't know do what they, the is. Do they, do they know how old that one was? Like, what would that age be roundabout? You know, it's, it's really hard to tell with these guys because everything really is based on how much they eat. So when I say, you know, a, a snake will get to be about 10 feet in three years, in three years, it, if, if it's not eating a whole lot, if it's in an area where there's not a lot of food items, it, you know, in three years, it might only be six feet or something right. like that. So, so it's really, it is kind of hard. And then once they reach a certain point, their growth slows down. So they're not growing like they are when they're, they're younger. So with that 18, nine, it could be a 15 year old. It could be 20. You know, I, I don't really know. I'm by no means an expert on aging pythons. There's actually, <laughs> nobody, there's really no one that is, this is not, this is not an animal that people have been able to study. They're, they're a threatened species in their own native land. So this is the irony of the whole thing in Cambodia and, 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 and you know, Southeast Asia where they're they're native. They're actually a threatened species. And that's, of course, due to man between development. And that's an actual food item for those people. So um, 
that's, you know, they've been hunted to the point where they're a threatened species there. And here, <laughs> we were. <wish. laughs> that's crazy. What's the craziest thing that either of you have seen consumed <laughs> by a python? That's either regurgitated or you've found after the fact. Well, I do know that one one python had a doe and two fawns in her. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, it, that's it, insane. I don't even want to think about how that whole thing went down. You know, I mean, like, so it's like the fawns are just standing there. It, and then it gets like, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible to think about that. Well, deer south of south of Miami are almost non-existent now. And and I can only imagine that, you know, we're in a swamp down here. So the deer have to go to these high grounds to, uh, to give birth. So these pythons have got it figured out now that these islands are um, where they're going to get a free meal when mama drops a baby. And I'm sure that I'm sure that doe dropped her two her two fawns and you know within minutes the python figured it out and she may have tried to defend them or or not but you know it's just beyond ridiculous this whole thing that is occurring in in a, in a place where life was always so vibrant this is this is so sad and that's well, the thing that I really wish and it's been great talking with Ian because you grew up here and I didn't obviously so hearing all the stories about the thousands and thousands of birds and the the wildlife and the mammals that Ian has told me about and just there it is not anymore like that whatsoever and I just can't imagine what it used to be it would have been amazing I would have loved to see that so that's you know what we're trying to get back here hopefully all I can think when you say that is how quiet it must be now I guess you know without the the sounds of the wildlife and the birds and it's absolutely it it makes me cry it really does it's it's so sad. You can just drive around for hours and hours and hours. And and it, it, the odd thing is, is when I was a child growing up here, it was, you were hard pressed to find an alligator. Alligators are a great success story because they went from a threatened species close to being endangered here in South Florida to now there's a gator every minute as you drive around. And the, the saltwater crocodile is another one. I how how in my lifetime can I be seeing two or three crocodiles a night and not see a a bunny? I mean, come on, that is that's beyond. You can't wrap your head around that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Okay, so tell us about the contractor program in Florida. What is that, and how did you get involved in it? You want to take that in, or go for it. Well, so the, you had a better story. Start over. You oh, had a better. Well, I, I was just going to talk a little bit about it. Um, Anne was one of the originals. I was hired, I think, as the second or third wave or something. So they started the program. Obviously, you know, it's government funded to to get people out there to to catch these pythons. And um, there's there's two different programs: one with FWC and one with the South Florida Water Management District. And now each program, they have 50 contractors. So there's only 100. And when I say contractor, I mean, or Python removal contractors. Um, I say that I'm a Python hunter a lot because it it's, makes sense to people that are not in the business. And when I say that I'm a Python contractor, they're like, what, you, you build snakes? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. So that's just my explanation of it. But they've done a really good job of kind of streamlining both programs. And so we have relative, basically the same areas to hunt in. We, you know, we have the keys to, to the gates where the public can't go. You know, we, so we have access to these different areas. Um, and I think that we're at hundred now there's 15 in and I are two of 15 women that are part of the program. So, you know, there, there's a lot of different people involved. So, and go ahead and add some more to that. Well, yeah, the contractor program is made up of all sorts of people. We have veterans and women, and we have older people like myself and a few contractors that are actually older than myself. Um, and the, there, there are two programs the state of Florida started with the Fish and Wildlife Commission and South Florida Water Management District, but um, we're all bit one big team. It's It's such a a strange um, and specialized thing that um, 
we all we all are fighting this fight together and we're all doing it as one team um it it we're also trying to get the public involved and that's that's part of fwc and the districts um their message is that you know there are 22 public lands and the big cypress national preserve that anyone is welcome without a hunting license uh, to come out and help us remove these pythons. So we are imploring the public to come out and and help us out. And you can read all about that on the uh, FWC website. We actually have some people that are coming down and doing um, Python challenges that we have every year. It's open to the public. I'm thinking they're going to have another one this coming summer. Um, and we've had families that literally spend their their you know their annual vacation coming to Florida, camped out on a levee, and they're riding their bicycles with their children trying to catch pythons. So it's it's awesome, and we do we are imploring the public to please come help because there's there's a hundred of us and there's hundreds of thousands of these snakes, and it's not an easy job. One thing that I'm going to add to that that a lot of people have questions about is that if if you are a member of the public, you do have to kill the python on site. You cannot transport a live python. You will get in big trouble for that. Um, so if if you're on, like Ann said, one of the 22 public areas, private property that you know you have permission on, or in Big Cypress, you know you can go ahead and and kill the Python. And I actually just had a guy do that in Big Cypress and he asked around and got my name because, um, you know, I buy them for the skins. And so he contacted me. And so he was all excited. He was talking about how it was, it, it was at a, uh, camp at Wagon Wheel and, um, oh, I can't remember and turn river, I guess. But he said that he's been going there for 30 years and he's never seen a Python. And then there was a big female just just chilling out on the property. So he actually called FWC and they said, yes, go ahead and shoot it. And then he called me and I picked it up. So, so we do need the public's help. And I'm assuming that that stipulation is, is really just because they don't want to make the problem worse by pe having people transfer live pythons and Absolutely. accidentally escape in Absolutely. other areas. And so and what's the training? Well, the, the FWC actually up until COVID was giving training to the public and um, hopefully they will resume that soon. So they actually would um, have these classes and they would teach people how to catch live pythons. And for the first two years that I was a contractor, I donated almost all my snakes to that program. Um, <laughs> it's pretty interesting, but uh, to be hired as a contractor, actually um, they I did not have to have that training but they said that you had to have caught three wild pythons before you apply. So that was kind of the criteria. And then how did um, you prove yeah. that? Sorry, yeah. just real quick. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't think they're going to fire me now, but I didn't prove it and they didn't ask me and I hadn't, I hadn't caught any, so I'm about <laughs> to lose my job, but no, um, I, I think they love me enough now that they'll keep me, but it actually, yeah, my, my, my student, my art student friend and I were going to get, back in those days, they gave you a permit to live transport. So we were applying for the, the permit. So in case we did catch one, you know, we could be legal. And as I was filling out that form, I saw that they had the, the contractor applications open. So I filled mine out real quick and they were only going to have it open for three days and they were only going to take like 30 um, submissions. So I, I told my friend, Jane, hurry up and fill out the application. We were, you know, just giddy with the whole idea. And we both filled it out and said that we had been going out with one of the district contractors and that we already had the vehicle and the snake hook and, you know, the flashlights and everything you need. And, um, oh my gosh, a month later, I get an email and I had to call Jane. I said, they're desperate. They hired me. But nowhere on the application did it did it blatantly ask, did you ever catch a wild python? So I felt that I didn't really lie. I was going to tell them I, I hadn't, but um, it worked out. <laughs> That's fantastic. 
So, Anne, can you tell us, like, I would love to kind of, yeah, I was going to say kill two birds with one stone, but let's just kill two pythons with one story. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear uh, both a story of um, a memory that you have in the field, and then through that story, maybe take us through what it's like to hunt pythons and how you catch them. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, well, in the beginning, before we actually knew what we were doing, uh, we were driving around practicing catching red rat snakes and occasional water snakes and trying to learn how to identify water moccasins to not catch them. Um, but when when I started as a contractor going out, I always went with my friend Jane, who also did end up getting hired. We were both hired and we we you know, teamwork makes dream work. So we would go out together and, um, you know, looking and looking. And we started at the time of year where the hatchlings are coming out. So we kind of eased into it. It was pretty, it was pretty easy catching these 18 to 24 inch hatchlings. And it was great. But um, as time went on, she couldn't always go out with me. So I started hunting alone and I found audiobooks. And now I'm like the lone huntress because I love audiobooks. I love listening to podcasts. So I go out by myself so I don't have anybody interrupting these things. And my big fear was after I had caught, you know, hatchlings and six footers, seven footers, you know, I, I knew I was going to come across a, a giant one someday. And, um, Yes, of course. My very first deer eater size was at two o'clock in the morning on a long, lonely rock road going into the big cypress. And there it lay just like a big speed bump going across the whole road. I nearly died. And I had talked to one of the the professionals at, at Fish and Wildlife and, and, and I kind of picked his brain like, what should I do if I come across one of these giant ones when I'm alone? And he told me that I should grab it around the neck and lay on the first third of the snake. That way it couldn't wrap me. So I'm not afraid of a bite. I worked with parrots for years. They bite like hell. They've got 450 pounds of pressure behind their bite. So a little snake bite's not a big deal, but I was worried half to death about getting wrapped. And um, I, I did lay on that darn python in the middle of a rock road, grabbed it around the neck and just laid on it. And it didn't do much. So um, I decided to go ahead and, and try to bag it up. And it wasn't so bad. I got it in the bag. It weighed over 100 pounds. It was a 14 foot, 11 inch snake, but it had a stubby tail. So I actually got robbed of almost two foot of snake at that point. I was so mad when I, when I got measured and my boss said, boy, you got robbed. You should be in the 16 footer club, you know? <laughs> um, but you know, that first one getting it under my belt opened up the world to me because after that, I didn't have the fear. Um, but when you see your first large Python, there's no feeling like that. You can't even believe in the in in the wild that you're going to ever see anything like that. So it was kind of terrifying for a while there. But um, since then, I've caught three other deer eaters and I uh, feel pretty comfortable with the whole thing. Okay, so I I can picture. I don't. I won't say that. I I understand fully because <laughs> I imagine you have to do it before you get to that point. But okay, okay, I can picture lying on the top of the snake. Um, and holding its head so it doesn't wrap you. But then how do you get it in the bag? Yeah, how do you fit an elephant into a, a, a suitcase is pretty much what it is at that point because our bags aren't that big. But um, they, they do teach you in the Python training with FWC to put your hand in the snake bag all the way to the corner and make a little hand puppet to grab the snake around the neck. And then you invert the bag over the snake while you're holding its head. You try to pull that bag up onto the snake's body as far as you can and cinch it with your other hand. Once you have that bag cinched, and you let go of the snake's head, it's like, I'm free. And it literally starts crawling into the bag. So at that point, I take the heavy part of the body and I literally am just feeding it into the bag little by little until I can get to the end. The That's hard crazy. Part comes, actually, the hard part comes next because 
I have a lifted truck with big tires. So my tailgate is, you know, like four foot off the ground. And now I have a hundred pound snake and I'm in the middle of nowhere by myself. I was almost to the point of tears because I didn't want to leave it after that. I was like, I got it. I was so proud of myself, you know, but uh, because I am a woman, I do have a brain and I ended up, <laughs> I'm not saying that guys don't, but I had to use my brain. I didn't have the brawn and nobody was around. So I ended up eventually taking my snake box, which we have a we have boxes that we have to transport the snakes in. Once they're in a bag, they actually have to be double bagged. And then we have to put them into a box that locks. So I got my snake box down and I rested for a few minutes and, and I got up all my resolution and I got the snake up onto that first two feet of box and and luckily, because it was the um, summer season and sometimes you catch so many snakes, they won't all fit in one box. I luckily had that second box. So I put that on top of the first box on a crossway. And then I waited a few more minutes. So I got my resolve back up and I lifted it up. And, and, and you know, it took probably half an hour to lift it up into the truck, but I did get it. So it was a win-win. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. You need one of those uh, winch gambrels that you can stick into your hitch for deer, like to skin a deer and gut a deer. Then you could just swing it over. You know what? You're like the third person that's told me that. And I really do need to think about that. It's funny, I, all my deer hunter friends are obsessed with the fact that I hunt these giant, you know, snakes now. And none of them ever see a python. They're out there. You know what it is. If you're a deer hunter, you're out there. You you know, you know the land. You're out there and and they never see them. But um, they're, they're very enthusiastic to help me out in any way, you know, getting this down to a science. Which leads to one other thing that just happened through a deer hunter. A friend of mine got an e-bike, and here he is. He's 70-something years old. He's on his e-bike with a baby uh, carriage thing attached to it, pulling a deer out of the Ocala National Forest. I said, Tab, I'm impressed. That's, you know, that's quite the feat, dragging a deer out of the woods like that, and here you are on your bike. Well, guess who just got an e-bike, and guess who just caught their first python on her e-bike? So... <laughs> Deer hunters are my friends. <laughs> that is the that has the makings of the best YouTube video ever. <laughs> TikTok, you, maybe. I don't do TikTok. You, I'm too old for that. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Amy, could you tell us a story about one of your favorite memories in the field? Sure. Actually, I will tell you about when Ann and I went hunting together. <laughs> we um okay, so so we were taking a guest out. Actually, it was Travis that we were taking out that night. So Anne was driving her truck. Travis and I were in the back um, of the truck. And, you know, we're, we're on a levee. And I've got one side. Travis has the other side. And we're just, we're looking for these snakes. And so I see, I look down and I see a python that is in the water swimming parallel to the bank. And about two, two or three feet out is all the sawgrass. So... I, you know, yell out that I see a python. So I stayed up on the truck so Anne could get out and get around just so I didn't lose track of it. And so then she saw it. So when she saw it, I got down, but we're looking at this thing and it just kind of stopped. It wasn't swimming fast or anything. It was just kind of moseying along, but then it just stops. And you can see it's getting a little nervous. Something's not right. And we're both thinking, oh my gosh, this thing is going to bolt into the sawgrass. And sure enough, that thing just does a 90 degree turn and just goes right into the grass and literally jumps on it with her like head first hands, like going right into the water. And she grabs this thing and it wasn't at the end of the tail, but it was at the end of the snake. So she's got it. And so she's like, Oh my gosh. And I mean, covered, covered in water. And so then I go a little further up to see if I can find, you know, where this head is. So so I grab, so I've got part of the body and it is so hard when you're doing a water catch because snakes are not slimy, but they're very slippery when they're wet. And it's really hard to get a grip on them. And the way that they move, they just kind of move out of your hands. It's the weirdest thing you've ever felt. And so Anne's back there and she's like, I'm losing it, I'm losing it. And I'm like, hang on. And so I'm like 
trying to feel up this snake's body because I'm trying to find the head. Now, both of us, our heads are about three or four in four inches from the water and it's dark water. We can't see anything. And I'm not afraid of a, of a python bite by any means. But the thing is, I don't want to get bitten in the face because those teeth are big and I don't want python teeth in my eyeball because that's going to make me go blind. And I'm not okay with that. So I'm trying to, to get to this head and I just, you know, it's, it's all chaos. So finally I find it and I was like, all right, here we go. So I, so I pulled it out. I'm like, I've got it. And so she's all splashing around and I get it out. And Ann and I are just like, yes, we just got her. It was, it was crazy. It's, and she was an 11 foot snake. So she wasn't a giant snake or anything, but man, she fought, she fought pretty well. That's that amazing. Sorry. It was, that's, I just feel like all of these, like on any given night, you both have this huge opportunity for like the ultimate triumph. I just feel like after something like that, like taking a snake like that. And when you were describing like laying on that snake and then trying to get it in the tailgate, like how many times in that night did you think I can't do this? And then you're like, I did it. Yes, ma'am. That was, that was what I took away from that. And, and I think you can do anything if you really, really try. I was close to tears at one point. I, I, I was, so frustrated but um you know you get that resolution and amy you did not tell your best story well the 17 footer yes well i know but that that one actually was was sort of boring compared to our catch (laughs) (laughs) i mean we had the drama that's true (laughs) have the drama but but to the point of of you know not never knowing what you're gonna get you you just don't know Okay, please tell them about how you got that one giantess of a snake by yourself and your your invention, quote unquote. Okay, so when I first moved, I'm going to preface this story a little bit. When I first moved here and was hired, I came across at least a 16-footer. I was by myself. We um, actually, it was during Hurricane Dorian and we weren't even supposed to be out and I wasn't technically actually hunting, but I was just driving down 41. And there's this huge snake. And I was like, what, what do I do with this? Because I didn't really, I caught, you know, up to 12 feet and that was fine, but I didn't really, I mean, it was maybe a month after I was hired. And so I I grab her around the neck, but I, I can't hold her with just one hand because she's so big. And then I'm like, what am I supposed to do with the rest of her? And that's before I even knew the little bag trick, the hand, I wasn't even doing that yet, but I just thought, and then when I grabbed her, I tried to put my foot on her and I was like, this is, I, I can't do this. There's no possible way for me to do this. And I had to let her go. And it was the worst day of my life. I mean, I'm being a drama queen, but it was horrible. And I said, this is literally never going to happen to me again. So, and I, I hunt by myself a lot also, just like Anne does. And I said, I know this, I'm going to come across a snake. How do I prevent this from happening? So um, in the vet and pet business, you know, if you want to calm an animal down, you put a dark cloth over their eyes and it usually calms them down. So I said, I wonder if I could do that with a snake. And then I, I was just walking around my condo and I had this drawstring, this black drawstring bag randomly. I said, hmm, I wonder if I slid that over the head, if that would calm them down. So I caught like a 12 or 13 footer, practiced it in my backyard by putting this thing over and it worked like a charm. It, I, the first time it just shut it down. Python just stopped moving, didn't move at all. The second time it it was nosing around, but it didn't know where to go. So I could literally just sit there and do nothing, take as long as I needed. It took the bite factor out. It took the escape factor out. So I could just take my time doing it, you know, to, to load them up. So I had that bag with me and I always had that bag with me. And I was driving down the road, saw this snake, pulled over and I I could tell it was a big snake, but I didn't know how big until I got there and I saw the head and I'm telling you, and Anne can attest to this, when you're used to catching, you know, the averages between, you know, eight and 11 feet and their heads are are relatively small. I mean, they're, they're big, but they're small. And then you see a 17 foot snake head that is five times the size of that. It, it definitely takes your breath away for a minute and you just sit there. And so I'm standing there with my little bag, drawstring bag, thinking, 
oh my God, what am I doing? Am I insane? <laughs> you know? And so, but I said, well, got to do it. So I just, I jumped on top of her and I, I basically, she was trying to shimmy back into the swamp. Now I had no idea how big she was because I couldn't see most of her, but I had to lock my arms out behind her neck. And I literally had to use my legs to push me forward to keep her from moving back. So it was kind of a test of the wills, but I couldn't see any of her body. So she wasn't trying to wrap me or anything, which was very good. And so I, the thing that I didn't account for with this head bag was that with the small snakes, it fits right over. You can just grab them like we do with the pillowcases. And then it didn't work like that for the big ones because their heads are so big and the bag isn't big enough to, to slide, um, to flip it over. So I had to slide it from the nose down. And so it took me a minute, but I got it. And so then I've got this thing in a head bag and it stopped moving. She, she gave up. And so I'm sitting on top of the snake in a ditch on 41. No idea how big it is. And I'm like, oh man, now, now I've got to pull this thing out of here. Kind of like what Ian was saying, like, what do I do now? And so I called, I called a couple of people to see if they were in the area and nobody was. And then I saw some, but I saw some other hunters go by. And so I yelled out to them. And so they stopped and they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting on a snake, help me get her out. And they're like, what, what? And so they came down and saw this thing and they just said, oh my gosh, that is the biggest snake that we've seen in person so far. And thank God they, they helped me because she was 110 pounds. So that would have been quite um, the feat for me to get her out of there. So I, I am very thankful that I had help on that one. But yeah, so we have to be smarter than the snakes. You know, I'm, most people, guys included can't overpower a 17 foot python. You just can't. Um, I mean, unless you're Anne, you lay on top. I still can't believe like you lay on top. That is the coolest thing. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have the nerve to do it. I might get, I don't I even know. think you would, you know, you don't want to watch one get away again. Oh yeah. No, I, it, that wouldn't happen, but yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe I would, but it's still, it's, it's incredible to me to hear that story when you tell that. So anyway, but we all have, you know, our crazy stories. We've got, you know, I will say the majority of the catches are kind of boring. I mean, you just, you, you go up to them, you grab them, put them in the bag and, and it's done. You know, that's, that's how a lot of them are, but then you get some of them that get pretty exciting. Yes. Can we have a disclaimer that the, the television shows that you see are wonderful friends of ours that are doing them, but Python hunting has nothing to do with that. That is television and that's not how it goes. <laughs> yeah, nope, nope. But nope. the reality show got it wrong? No. <laughs> I I kind of I have two questions. One, is this something that you're always doing now? Like, do you always have a bag in your car and a box in your car? And whenever you see a python, like whoever's with you knows that you're stopping no matter what. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. Is, I've been imagining this since I knew we were going to have this podcast. Like, what if what if I was in a car with one of y'all and I didn't know you very well and we were driving down 40 and there's this snake and you don't say anything, but you just throw that puppy in park and hop out and jump on a 16 foot long python like it's your job because it is I just feel like that's it's crazy it's so cool <laughs> it could happen come down we'll yeah out. absolutely it is, you it don't, is we'll jump on them <laughs> it, it is don't, amazing like like Ann said the first time you see that big one because the first big one I saw was actually one that was run over right in front of me it was a 16 footer across 41 and you, and we thought it was a log and you just sit there and you're, you're in awe of how just gigantic this thing is. And yeah, it's, it's, it takes your breath away. That's for sure. And then my other question is, um, like what, what, what are some reactions you get to people just driving by watching you wrestle this snake on the side of the road? Well, some of them will cheer you on and wave and honk, but they don't stop. And uh, another contractor, another female contractor and I were on this other dirt road and it's a highly trafficked road that people go down all the time. And we're laying on a close to a 16 foot snake. And, and this was a fighter. This wasn't like the other one that just kind of laid there. So both of us are laying on this snake 
And I prayed for somebody to come driving by just to go get us a bag out of the truck. And no one came. So, you know, it can go anyway. You never know what's going to happen. But now I always put, tuck a bag into my waistband. That's for sure. I always have a bag. It's amazing. Um, uh, Amy, I want to go back a bit because you talked about keeping the skins. Can you say more about that? Sure, sure. I think, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, I love snakes and I do hate that we have to kill them. And so I've kind of made it my mission to figure out how to use as much, as much of the snake as possible so we don't have to waste them. And so I partnered with uh, Be Swanky and they design and manufacture high-end handbags. And uh, so she, for her Python line, she only uses the Florida Burmese pythons. She doesn't use any Asian python or anything like that. So, so I started skinning them mainly because nobody else wanted to. And um, then I get them professionally tanned and then I sell them to her so she can use them for her bags. And then I also have some products too uh, that I make. But it's, it's a really good way because I just, I hate the thought of them being wasted. They're such beautiful animals and it is not their fault that they're here, you know, but they do absolutely have to go. So if, if I can figure out how to use as much of them as possible, you know, that's kind of what I want to do. And on that same note, Amy is a full-time python hunter. She's Amy the python hunter. <laughs> and, and in order to make this a worthwhile business she's she's 110 percent into it me i'm only like 35 percent into it because it's not my full-time job and my tax accountant will tell you that every year he tells me and you should really rethink this python thing because i'm you know i'm putting thirty thousand miles on my truck i'm burning gas and i'm not i'm making eight dollars and 65 cents an hour doing this so <laughs> That's what make more when we catch a snake, but in those months where you're not catching snakes, we're on minimum wage. Yeah. Well, I'll you, you're way more in it than 35% PS, just FYI. So uh, you're, you're, and you're one of the top hunters for FWC. I mean, you've caught, I don't even know how many you've caught. I don't either. <laughs> one night, one of the young guns, the, one of the 20 year old contractors, I ran across him and he said, I, I just beat you. I just beat you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, I just caught more pythons than you have. And I, that was the day I stopped counting my pythons. I don't care. I'm not in anybody. It's no not idea. a competition. I'm doing it out of love and, and adrenaline. I'll admit it. It started out with love the Everglades and it's ending up with love the Everglades with a rush. So <laughs> that's to both worlds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, doing good work doesn't, I mean, there's nobody saying that you can't have fun while you do good work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Best gig ever. Best gig ever. Amen to that. Um, so I, we, this has been amazing. Thank you both so much for sharing your time and your stories. I, before we transition a little bit, is there something, um, we talked a little bit about hunting um, recreationally versus contracting for pythons um, professionally. Is there anything that you think hunters who are interested in coming to Florida to hunt pythons should know that we haven't already talked about before they go? I think a big thing is to check the, the website, the FWC website to get, there's a lot of good information on there as far as what the public can and can't do. Um, and then again, it's, you know, I get a lot of people that ask, where should I go? How do I do this? And things like that. And it's just, you know, it depends on the season right now. They're, they're becoming nocturnal. So it's going to be at night. And a lot of people don't actually know that they think that they're going to be out during the day and they're really not. So it's a nighttime thing and just check the website for the rest of it and do not transport live. <laughs> and do you have anything to add? No, that's very good advice. It's no, it really is a, a sticky place between doing some, a good deed and getting yourself in trouble. So Amy's correct. Go and check the FWC, um, the Fish and Wildlife, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission website backslash Python in there. You can get all the information. There are certain ways that you're um, permitted to dispatch a snake. It sometimes corresponds with the regular hunting season. Um, 
uh, do not travel with the live python and make sure you know all the regulations because this has just become um, an even more regulated uh, we just had a new law passed in the state of Florida where they are regulating the large constrictors and many in, um, other reptiles. So as things are changing, uh, they're tightening up their, their, their britches here. So definitely don't get yourself in trouble trying to do a good deed or have fun. There's plenty of opportunity to do it the right way. And, and look for the upcoming Florida Python Challenge where you can win prizes last year or was it last year year before we missed last year because of covid but um the year before amy was one of the big prize winners and i know she won a, a cash pot but other people won um four by fours that were donated by bass pro shops and money and beautiful reptile uh wallets and things so it's a lot of fun um for the whole family <laughs> Yeah. And when is that usually? When do they host that? They usually, they usually do it in the winter time, but I think they're transitioning over to summer because summer is when the pythons are really active and you can get more pythons because they're hatching out. So that's that's more doable for the public catching, you know, um smaller snakes. So I think they're trying to transition that this year. And I do, I do want to add one more thing, though, before we go here, because I think it's important because there's a lot of controversy about, you know, is this really helping? Are we really making a difference? Because there's an estimated between 100,000 and 300,000 pythons in the Everglades in three and a half million acres. And in the last four years, we've gotten between eight, 9,000. So it, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're making a big difference, but I've got two things to say about that. First of all, anytime that there's been an animal or fish that the hunting or fishing hasn't been regulated, it, it gets to the endangered almost list or threatened anyway. And then they have to put regulations in to bring that, that, those numbers back. So in 20, 30 years, maybe we will have made a bigger difference than you know, what we imagined we would, I don't know. But it takes, like I said earlier, it takes an average of three years for a python to get to be 10 feet. And it takes 200, mammals, birds, and reptiles to get it there. So literally every single python that we take out of the Everglades is making a difference and it is saving the lives of literally hundreds of our native species. So it is important. So for me, everyone really does count. Even if we, we're never gonna get ahead of this thing, but if we can at least you know, save some of our mammals and birds out there, you know, we're still doing a good thing. Well, in, in the end, technology will provide a way for us to rid the Everglades of these pythons. But in the meantime, we cannot just let it go. So we are doing what we can at this point. Um, FWC actually has, and some of the other agencies, I believe, also have detector dog programs where they've trained um, hounds to actually sniff out these snakes and they've successfully removed pythons that way, um, having the public get involved and us contractors. So right now that's pretty much it. Well, there's telemetry also. They're they're actually tracking snakes um, during their breeding time to try to remove some of uh, the mating snakes. But, you know, in the meantime, we are the best answer for now. And hopefully in the future, there will be something even better. But, you know, Amy and I are gonna hold the line in the meantime. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Where can we find you? Uh, where can listeners find you, um, Amy? Uh, Anne said that you've got some social that we could track you on. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Python Hunter Amy on Instagram, uh, and Python Huntress is my website. And there, there's well, there's a link to the bracelets that I make. I also have Apple Watch bands coming out. Uh, there will be, I think, May seventh, uh, a link for those. And then, of course, the Be Swanky handbags. But yeah, you can reach me there. And then, of course, Facebook, my first and last name, Amy Seewee. So, yeah. And how about you? Is there a place we can find you? Yeah, you can find me on the FWC Python contractor page on Facebook. I'm always in and out of there. So, and, and if the public has any questions or wants any kind of information, that's a great place to, to talk to the contractors. Not just me, but um, there's quite a few of us that are on that page. So, yeah, come on. Excellent. Uh, anything else you either of you wanted to mention before we transition to hits and misses? 
I we think that's good for me. It. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. You Actually, can always call us back if you think of anything. <laughs> you know, if I think of anything, I may just hop in my car. <laughs> just like we'll take them out and, and show them a great time. Yes, we Sounds will. good. Ashley, any last burning questions? Oh my gosh. Yeah. When can Marcia and I come down and get a crash course in how to do this? It sounds I so one thing I do want to say is I've spent um a lot of a lot of nights across the country catching deer for research. And that was always a lot of fun for me and an adrenaline rush. And I just cannot conceive of how much more of a rush and how much more intense it is to get any, I mean, a snake over six feet, that sounds crazy to me. Like, I don't have a fear of snakes. I have a very like great relationship with snakes. I feel like for the average human. Um, but that to me is like, I don't know. It's wild. It's so cool that you guys do this. All right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you, Ashley. Did you just say that you catch deer? Yeah. For research telemetry, um, same kind of thing. How do you catch a deer? Oh, there's lots of ways. Yeah. But basically, I'm like, but I, I couldn't can even imagine catching a deer. <laughs> she doesn't catch them around the neck and lay on them. <laughs> well, sometimes after, after you drop a net on them, but that's the thing, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways. One of the, the, one of the craziest ways, the most intense physical ways is to catch one in what's called a box trap. And then like you put a hockey helmet on, somebody slides the door open, kicks you in the butt and you're in there with the deer and they don't open the door again until you have it on the ground. Right. What? So that's like, yeah. That was like, that's probably the most, I didn't do that after I turned 22. That was like young days, but um, oh. oh my God. Oh my even God. that is like, what's a deer going to do? Like the most dangerous thing, it could potentially kick you in your femoral artery. And like, that would be the craziest you know, or if it's like, is. yeah, well, yeah, because it's, it's like, what would happen? Nothing. It doesn't have however two inch long fangs or whatever you guys are describing. Oh it's not going to wrap itself around you and suffocate you. So that's, I'm, I'm going to get a hockey helmet and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to go python hunting in a, in a helmet. I'm <laughs> telling you. Oh my God. You girl, Ashley, you're a badass. I don't care. Yeah, you, you are. I mean, come I on. Do, in, in present company, I do not feel like I am, but I'm safety crap, first. Girl. Oh yeah, I'm because all, I'm, I'm not. All... I'll get in that box with Python. I will not get in that box with a deer that wants to kick my brains out. Oh my God. That's so cool. Uh, you. Awesome. I have no stories to contribute. I catch like, in, like foot long garter snakes. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> not that easy. Those guys are, they're skittish. And they're musky. <laughs> they are very musky. That's true. Oh, goodness. Excellent. Okay. So let's do hits and misses. That's our weekly closer. And the question is, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? Ashley, go ahead and start us off. I have been aiming for a turkey and it is not going well. Um, it's a big miss, except for the fact that I am eight, eight and a half months pregnant. And so the fact that I'm still going into the woods in search of a turkey. I feel like that's a little bit of a hit, but no turkeys have been harmed. <laughs> and how about you? What have you she been just, aiming for? She just stole my story. So yeah, I went out for my first turkey hunt. I got a, a quota hunt in Dinner Island and I talked one of my friends into taking me out. I've never been turkey hunting and I've heard it's the best fun you can have. And uh, yeah, I took a shot, I missed. Then I had a misfire and that was it, but I'm excited for fall and congratulations on your eight month pregnancy. That's awesome. K keep going out there. You're going to raise some really amazing kids doing that. Yes. Yes, you will. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's, I feel like you said you were on dinner Island. Yes. Dinner that's Island it. ranch. It, it's a beautiful place that um, has a, an interesting history. It was all um, cattle ranches and the, the, the cattlemen actually donated this land back to the state of Florida. And it's, it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship of the state of Florida allowing people in there to hunt. And the cattlemen are still running their cattle. So um, after I thought I knew what I was doing, the next day, the, 
the cowboys showed up and unloaded their dogs and, and all their horses and rode right through our hunt. So um, I missed on, on that day too, but it was, it was beautiful. It's one of the most striking places I've ever been. Florida is a beautiful state and that was one beautiful place. It sounds fantastic. Very cool. Wait, is, is it still turkey season? Or are you going to be able to get back out again? It, it's ending this weekend, I believe. So I'm out. I'm going snook fishing. I know I, I know how to do that. And <laughs> it probably tastes better than turkey in the wild anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need a potluck to test that theory. I'm all in. Okay. Nice. Amy, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? Well, you know, I, I'm a whitetail deer hunter and I did that in Indiana. I don't do that here. The deer are much smaller here um, <laughs> than they are in Indiana, but I've also, I, I have my pythons now and that's really what my focus is. My fiance went back to Indiana for three weeks during hunting season this year. And he, so our, our freezer is full of venison, thank God. But for me, I, I'm aiming for the 20 footer. I know she's out there. I know she's out there. And I'm going to find her. And you're going to have that bag ready. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Maybe a bigger bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I will. <laughs> get yourself a twin mattress bag cover. That's what I did because I know that when you get anything that big, you're not going to get it in a pillowcase. Actually, my mom made pillowcases. So I was going to show you the next time I saw you to see if you wanted one. Oh, sweet. Like tick, so they will fit a big old snake in there moms are the best <laughs> that's fantastic so i have a question are there um are there ways that you can specifically target a 20 footer or is it really just luck it's luck it's all luck. of it's luck it's right. timing it's just it's just yep amy has a famous saying they're everywhere and they're nowhere and i i live by her words there and then another contractor i know has as another phrase and it's right place, right time. So between those two phrases, that sums up Python contracting to me right there. Yep. True. I like it. Nice. Well, we'll send you positive thoughts. Get Thank that. You. <laughs> You're the only person I will say that to. I will send thoughts to get that 20 footer to head straight at you. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Ashley, I'm with you. My, my, I was aiming for, uh, I was, got out in the field a couple of days this weekend to get after the turkeys and I didn't hear any, much less see any, much less take a shot. They, they remain elusive. Uh, but it was a beautiful day in the woods and I saw a bunch of wildflowers and uh, I stared at a nuthatch for a couple hours and that was good too. Right place, That's right time. Yep. Yeah, I don't think they're everywhere and they're nowhere. They're mostly just nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but the right place, right time thing still holds true. Yep. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much. This was this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun for sure. We'll look forward to y'all coming down to see us. We'll Absolutely. make it happen for sure. I I uh, now have a goal of wrestling a python. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. To our listeners, thank you for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Mm -hmm.